0: Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Preservation 8 panel podcast. Uh, We're so excited to have each of you, and we're looking at the instincts this season. We're looking at all three, and we're doing that through each type. And there's a reason for that. It's because each type expresses itself through the instinct, and when it does, it appears a little bit different, even from within the type. And so I'm excited about this opportunity to learn a little bit more about the Self-Preservation 8 And so I'd love for you to introduce yourself uh, briefly. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and then we're going to jump right in.
1: My name is Jill. I live in Surrey, just south of London in England. Um, But my accent is from Glasgow in Scotland, where I was born.
2: I'm Kathleen, and I am from Seattle, Washington. And I'm Becky. I am a yoga teacher,
3: mom of... Four human kids and three furry kids, and I live in St. Louis, Missouri.
0: Awesome. Well, let's just dive in and talk about the dominant instinct, which is your self preservation. And when we're thinking about self preservation, we're thinking of three subcategories health and wellness. We're looking at the uh, nesting, the home. We're looking at resource management. So, both having resources, food, money, house, but also the management of those things. And so, I would love to hear a little bit about how you as an eight and we're going to look at the different features of the eight, the strength and the power of the eight and and how that plays itself out through the self-preservation instinct. And so how does that work? How does that instinct, how do you, how does strength show up for you? How does that, that drive come through when it comes to those three categories?
1: I just um, amazed to find that not only did the, the finding out that i was an eight explain an awful lot but finding out that i'm a self-pres eight is explaining even more so i um from the strong the need to be strong is huge particularly in my health and well-being so i've got a always been committed to fitness and I've never understood why it's not associated with competition. It doesn't matter if I'm beating anybody, but I have to push myself and I have to work. I feel like I'm working longevity into my body. That's really mm. what, what I have in my mind when I'm exercising. Mm. So I work hard in the gym, but I don't really need targets and I don't need anybody to work against.
0: Hmm. Do you work against, you feel like you're working against your own self? It's like I want to be stronger than I was before.
1: Yeah, I want to be as strong when I'm 60 as I was when I was 40. And in my head, it's all about maintaining what I have now as I get older and almost sort of challenging the the limits of aging. <laughs> mm. So yeah, it's a sort of feel like I invest in my body to make it serve me.
4: mm. Um, Mm. So sad.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting to me because I'm about to turn 60 this year and I have set a goal to do this hike locally here that I did when I was 20 for the same reasons you just said. I want to show that I'm strong enough to do it. It's a very hard hike, strong enough to do it. I'm doing my training. I'm lifting weights and, and, and the exact same reasons for the longevity and just to feel like I can take care of myself as I age. So I mm. resonate with that. Mm. Hmm.
3: Yeah. So I found this aspect of thinking through where self-preservation fits most in my life and with my type to be rather curious, because even though by profession, I'm a yoga teacher, so I'm very in tune with the body, regularly going within to see how the body feels, what the body needs, I do not share that drive to push the body. I did. I used to, but the older I get, the less competitive my expression of movement becomes. It's almost become a little more lazy <laughs> <laughs> in that it's more regular. It's more frequent. I'm more committed to it, but it's a softer, deeper expression of movement than it was 10 years ago when i was standing on my hands and taking strange pretzel like shapes now it seems like a more um like it's more designed to complement my inner health my mental health as it is to improve the body
0: mm, great well let's talk about the next aspect of it which is resource management how does the desire to be strong, the however you want to language it, the need to be strong or the um, being strong play itself out, even in this area of resource management. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I'd love to hear from you on that as well.
4: And I also wonder if this ties into that desire to not be controlled, because I've heard that with some that comes up in this category. So um, how does that may play into this as well with the eight. Yeah.
2: From my perspective... And especially in the resource management area, for me, it's about a need to feel safe. And I have to feel safe. And in order to feel safe, I have to be strong. I have to work hard. I have to make money. That's one of the areas where I really realized I was self-pressed because I was reading somewhere that self-pressed people tend to like check their bank accounts all the time. And I do that. (laughs) just. And it's just to like, it's like soothing for me. And Mm. it's not like I need to be rich. I just need to know there's money in there. and But that's a big part of it. And that makes me feel safe. Mm. And the ability to make that money is part of how I express the, the strength. And, yeah, the other question was not being controlled. Well, that's part of being safe, too, because if somebody else is controlling me, then I can't protect myself. So mm. I have to always be ready to defend myself. I mean, I'm just talking stereotypically here. I'm, I'm trying to change these things and be more sure. aware and not have yeah. these you know, reactive behaviors. But, but that's the source of it for me is really wanting to be safe and I'll do whatever I need to keep myself protected, fed, clothed and housed.
1: That's interesting because I, for me, the emphasis is much more about being ready. I want to be ready and I want to. Plan ahead, I want to protect my time i don 't really like the unexpected i don 't like surprises really and I, I put enormous effort into planning, preparing predicting uh, what output is going to be required and making sure that i 'm ready and that i 've got a balance uh, home life work life that things get the time that they need and uh, that I avoid wasting resource so I, um, yeah. In my work, I'm often the one that's saying, but do we really have the resource for this? Do we have the time for this? Do we have the energy for this? To do it well, I'd rather not do it at all than do it badly. Um, so for me, my diary is king. I hate. Let's evolve as we go. Hmm. <laughs> absolutely. It's the bits. I want to plan it. <laughs> know what's required. Be ready.
0: Yeah. I love that. That really be, you know, between what um, you Kathleen said, and then you Jill is like that, the predictability, the routine, the what you can expect. Like if you're resourced, you have enough Check in the bank account. You've got, it's that like guardedness, the guarding of the self, the guarding of the space. So even the thought about like energy, whereas some other eights don't always think about the energy that they're having to guard mm-hmm. Uh, Self-Preservation 8 might have more attention to that. Um, yeah. That's interesting.
3: I chuckled a little bit uh, when Jill was talking about the importance of her diary. For me, some of the most dreaded words of the in the English language are, let's just wing it. That <laughs> sends me into um, a little bit of the you know, case of the shivers because I don't I don't wing it very well. I need to know what's coming up, who's doing what, when we're going to be done, yeah. what we'll do after that. Yeah. So I'm the kind of person when it's when it comes time to make some vacation plans, I literally make a chart. I make a spreadsheet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I know... <laughs>
3: I know how many miles we're driving every day. I know what rest stops we're stopping at. I've already made hotel reservations in advance for every night. <laughs> when I think about resources, I think, <laughs> I think a lot about the example of COVID. I mean, just as background, I'm the product of two insurance agents. In my prior work life, pre-yoga, I worked in strategic communications and that involved a lot of scenario planning, you know, sort of, if this comes up, then here's how we'll handle that. And, um, I'm like a boy scout, man. I am ready. Mm. I am always prepared. I'm ready for everything. So in the winter, I carry around my winter box, my tote box that has the de-icer and the extra socks and the gloves and the Snickers bar and the bottle of water um when it's it's a little um I've learned to recognize that not everybody else operates this way and so it really sets me apart it's unique (laughs) but like (laughs) when COVID hit and everybody was concerned about not having enough toilet paper I'm thinking well I've already got 40 rolls of toilet paper just for a regular week yes yes (laughs) oh my goodness
1: Fantastic. So I still
3: have down in my that basement awesome. from COVID cases of bottled water, cans of spaghetti sauce. We had a whole bin of food that we never really needed to go through because grocery delivery came up. But I was prepared for the apocalypse.
0: Well, I was just going to say, if this is a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> I'm hanging out with you, self-presents, man.
3: Perfect. You
0: are Come the on true survivalist of the world.
2: <laughs> well, I just like to say, I find this interesting because... I don't feel that way. I mean, we're all self-presents, but it's interesting how it presents differently because I like winging it. When I go on vacation, (laughs) I like just knowing where we're going to land. And then we rent bikes and we ride our bikes and I make the Airbnb reservations the same day. So I've read that people, you know, there are those different aspects of the Mm -hmm. instincts. And I can see right here that we each have our own place where we're more dominant and within Mm. the instinct itself. So that's... Mm.
0: Yes. Very well said. And I'm glad you brought that up, Kathleen. This is what, it's why there is no absolute in any of this. But what's interesting is that if other self president people, not just AIDS, are listening to this, they're echoing with a lot of what you're saying.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there's this attention to, um, in what way am I prepared? In what way... Am I anticipating what's coming around the corner? Not in the same Mm -hmm. way as a head type would, but in the planning to be prepared for what may come around. So like, I love that, you know, Boy Scout analogy. I think it's a perfect one Mm -hmm. for self prez So yeah, really good.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have another comment on the resource management. There are things that I'm really good at, the ones I talked about, but there are other things like, you know, maintenance, like maintenance of the house that are important to me, but I, I'm just not good at them. And when I'm on my second marriage now, and when I met my husband, my now husband, he's also self pressed he's a self press one, but he is really good at the aspects of self press that I'm not. And so I really augured in on the self press like that was really important to me clearly, because I picked someone with the attributes within self-prez that I myself don't have. And Mm. instead of like picking up someone who's strong and social or sexual. So that was another way sort of of doubling down. And I really needed to feel safe within my self-prez.
1: That's interesting. Um, I'm married to a social seven. And uh, I wonder if it would have been easier (laughs) to Mm. find someone that was self president because he and I just like, oh, for example, he shops. And I've got this super rigid way of I have a six-week menu because I need to be able to feed my children with a really balanced diet, but I hate deciding what to cook. So I've got six weeks of different meals. And so I make a list of everything I need for the week. I then go through all the cupboards and take off everything I've already got because I hate waste. I hate buying things we don't need. I hate throwing food away. And Phil just loves to go around the supermarket and buy things he's never seen before (laughs) every week we're empty this is we've been married for 30 years i empty the shop it's like what is that and when are we going to eat it do we like it and is it waste
0: (laughs) oh man i I feel for you i feel for you Uh, i think you
1: should feel for him
0: I, uh, I do that to people. So I'm definitely aware of my impact with that sort of spontaneity. But this is a good comparison between how the self-preservation instinct will clash against not just type, but against, um, and not always clash, but there's, you can feel the tension of like where the self-preservation attention goes versus where the, say, social attention goes or the sexual attention goes. And so that does play itself out in, in relationships quite a bit as well as the workplace and in, in any setting. Um, so it's really good. Well, let's talk about the third, the home, the nest.
4: I feel like Becky should probably lead off with this one just because of what I already know about
0: her. <laughs> oh, let's, <laughs> let's hear this.
3: So this is the area that I feel most deeply, not just in my bones, but in mm. the cells of the marrow of my mm. bones. And Joel, you were saying how this is, you know, how our self prez our self presosity can sort of bump up against not just other types, but other instincts. I find that it really bumps up against children. <laughs> and so I live in a pretty small home with my little blended family. My husband, we each bring two children into our marriage. And so we've got between the four of them, we've got a 10 year old and 11 year old and two 13 year olds. And I have a great deep need for order for knowing where everything is for there not to be socks and soccer balls and <laughs> candy bar wrappers all over the floor. My children do not share this need mm. and it creates an awful lot of conflict Whereas, you know, I said to my husband recently, I'm like, how can we come up with a way that I can step back from nagging and yet still get my priorities achieved? (laughs) And we both sort of scratched our head with that because we recognize the kids just don't share that sense of home and nest and order. And they really thrive in the mess and the chaos and... They're the first ones to say, let's wing it. Whereas I've got a cleaning schedule to go for the whole week. <laughs> and um, I think they think I'm a little nuts
1: and I might be. Oh, I think we are. We are slightly nuts. But in a good I, way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the most extreme examples of my home thing is when the children were five and six, we decided oh. to move to central Brazil. We lived in a place called Goiânia for six years. Um, it was a huge risk. And if it wasn't for my social seven husband, I would never have gone. But mm. one of the things we did was pack up our house and put all oh, our possessions that would go through the, the hole in the roof into our loft. And um, I made an Excel spreadsheet of 67 boxes. And the contents of every single one, and wow, yeah, and the number of people I've told that, and they just look at me like, "How could you do that?" But I, I needed to know what we had, and where it was, and it paid off because we came home at Christmas time a couple of times away to find our boots, and I could say, ah. Box 43 has got Harry's boots in it. (laughs) (laughs) We could find our winter jackets. But yeah, that's like the extremity of it. The order, I love that, Becky. I need the order and the order to me makes perfect sense. That's why I've got a six week menu because then I know how many times we're eating red meat. I know how many times we're eating white meat. I know how many times we're eating carbs and cycling through the carbs so that we don't eat potatoes three nights a week. All those kind of things are... To me, it just saves time, it saves energy, and it's healthy.
4: (laughs) I mean, you just demonstrated literally all three aspects (laughs) under the self-pres about well-being, resource management, and the home and domestic life. It's like, yes, the home and domestic life, you're really attending to that, but you're doing that with practical know-how. And you're also using that practical know-how and managing of resources in order to make sure that the well-being is met through the food. And so you're really seeing how all of those tie together And you're in charge of this too. So it's not like you're letting this be handled by someone else. Like you're handling all three and it is up to you and you are in charge. I I love it. It just, that's a great example of the combination there.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was hoping to hear like a little bit more of is like, is that aspect of how does the eight feeling like control is coming externally at you? Like things are trying to control you. Is this part of the mechanism for you to feel more in control of your environment, of your space.
3: So Jill, just following up on what you were saying and what Joel was asking about our need to control and yet the eight has a distinct need to not be controlled by others. As you were describing the six week menu and you know when we eat red meat and when we eat chicken, I was thinking, I was really resisting like, oh, nobody could have. I see why you would want to make that menu for you, but you could not make it for me. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that would be controlling me. And I initially, I mean, just right away brushed up against that. Like,
1: oh, don't you tell me what I can eat.
4: <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah. Well, the thing is, as I say, I've been married 30 years to a seven and Phil loves variety. So there's had to be f- flexibility. So he will, he'll look at the menu as well. It may be Tuesday but I fancy cooking what's on Thursday (laughs) and I fancy cooking it a bit differently too. And so he'll start into the larder and pull out what he wants. and, And in fact, when I can tell it's boring, I don't get bored by rhythm and routine, but other people get a bit bored. I lean on him. I say, Phil, we need a little bit of excitement. So I delete you know, 10 of the meals and he heads off to the recipe books and the online and finds new recipes and <laughs> uh, finds uh, sort of lean on his love of the, all that, you know, but uh, wh- well, home's okay because I am in control at home. You know, we can do things as we like at home, but it's outside of home that, yeah, I get triggered um, in work settings and friendship settings if I think I'm being pushed around I don't I don't have Mm. the freedom to say Mm. no
2: yeah for me in the home area I experience it more I just need to have a home it's funny I keep on saying I need to feel safe safe is a big thing for me I need to have a home but the rest of it as long as I have a home and it's you know maintained and it's in good shape that's enough for me (laughs) I Mm. don't experience at least in this domain this need for Certainly my husband would say I don't need all the order. (laughs) And I think in other areas, I have a way, my own way of like scheduling. A lot of it is with my workouts, you know, wanting to make sure that I'm always fit and in shape or at least trying to get there. And then also for me, it's a lot about connection with other people. So I have two kids and six grandkids and my mom. And so I'm always kind of looking to make sure I've touched in with everybody. I don't know which part of self-press that is, but it feels like a very important part to me mm-hmm. of maintaining my relationships and connecting with the people that are important to me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And that sounds a lot like the social instinct. And I wonder if that's your, is that your new? It's your, my, like, that's
2: my repressed side. So I, that's why I'm really, I really, okay. I, I kind of struggled with that. I think it's more I'm not sure maybe it's me going to two. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm definitely um the social is my blind side because it's like joining like this doing this podcast. I've decided I'm going to try and, you know, go out of my comfort zone to be more social, whatever that means exactly. So when you asked to do this, I was like, "Oh, I don't know, but I thought do it, Kathleen, cuz you're not that comfortable with it. So <laughs> just do it." And then, and so I'm trying to expand my social sort of joining groups or it's not one-to-one kind of thing. It's more joining groups and I'm looking to volunteer and be part of a bigger cause. So it's, to me, that's the social, or maybe I'm misunderstanding. That's the definitely social. social. Yeah, that's yeah. Definitely, yeah. And the relationships for me, it's about, I need to feel connected. And so it's, for me, it feels like self-press. Like I need to know those people are there. I need to check in on them. It may be going to two, like I said, I, I don't really know.
4: Yeah. So we've talked about your dominant instinct being the self-preservational one. We refer to the second in your sequence or your instinctual stack being your top, your middle, and your lowest. We call the middle one your neutral one. Which one is more neutral for each of you and how how does it function and and does it serve your primary? But how do you uh, feel like you relate to your secondary instinct?
3: I'll jump into that. My secondary instinct is the sexual instinct. And I actually find it pretty relevant and top of mind for me in both. In my work and in my uh, relationships with people, my closest relationships, I really like to cultivate a deeper one on one connection with people. I mean, I could be sitting next to you on an airplane and then, you know, at the end of our hour long flight, we are best friends who have covered like our deepest traumas over 30 years. <laughs> and I love that. I, there's nothing more uncomfortable to me these days than having to suffer through small talk. I want to be able to like, look at you right into your soul and for you to see mine.
0: Yeah. Very, very definite, uh, sexual energy there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great.
1: Yeah. This is a strange one for me because on the test I came out 42% social. So that would be my, it was my second reading the description, that idea of reading people and reading body language and facial expression, That is strong, but it sort of connects with the eight for me because I hone in a lack of integrity very quickly and a lack of authenticity is a huge one for me and I'm ready to get into the protecting, you know, back off from this, this is danger zone here. So it comes in there. But if I'm at a party, I'm like Becky. I don't really want just a series of little snippets of small talk. I would far prefer to have a really decent conversation with somebody. And yet that, I think, the one-to-one sexual is supposed to be my third instinct. But I also, maybe the social, there's something about team. Because I'm a minister of a Baptist church. Um, I work in a team and I work in a lot of teams. And uh, I love team. I love team care. And that kind of checking in on everybody, making sure there's fairness, that there's respect. And I love to lead teams and I tend to think more team if I'm leading the team. I think I can be a bit of a pain in the neck as a member of a team, but I like to lead. And I know that's a bit more social, isn't it? And there's a big bit of contribution to others is what I am. That's, that's what mm-hmm. my work is all about. So that feels maybe why I got social with my second one.
0: Oh. And do you feel your your self president instinct do you feel some of that coming into the space of the social
1: Uh, well in work that's the the diary is the pinch point there so I can give myself and I can give myself absolutely wholeheartedly and there's a there's a lot of altruism in in there there's a lot of stuff about um, the importance of community and exhorting people to be all they can be and I'm a speaker that's sort of what I do mostly what I love to do but there is a pinch point. There mm-hmm. is a point at which I have given what I had and I had time that is not, doesn't belong to anyone else. It's mine and my family's. And I'm, I think I'm helpfully rigid mm. when I get there. Yeah. Because no, the tank's empty. Yeah. I need to retreat.
0: Yeah, that's the uh, intelligence of the instinct. It mm-hmm. knows. <laughs> it mm-hmm. knows when the gas is running out before it runs yeah. out. So yeah. that's yeah. great.
2: Yeah, um, my secondary is sexual. And as I said earlier, I'm pretty sure my blind side is the social. I think the sexual plays out. I feel very similarly. I love having really deep conversations. I can do small talk, but I just kind of feel like, what's the point? (laughs) Why are we doing this? you know, but, but I'll do it if I have to, I've learned that that's the way you've got to do things, but I much prefer like at a party to find somebody and sit in a corner and, you know, find out what's really going on. But also I think there's an energy that I get because as a self press, I can be kind of a little bit lower energy than maybe some of the other eights, but sometimes I just want to party. And I feel like that comes in, you know, and also maybe at work, I'll get a really good idea and I just want to make that happen. And I feel like that sort of creative and sort of joyful part of me comes from that sexual instinct. Yeah. Um, And then the social, yeah, for me, it's about joining groups is I think where I really have a hard time and I am very heavily self-preservation, I would say. It's not very balanced and I'm trying right now to get more balance and trying to figure out how to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, thank you for segueing us into that. Uh, the neglected center and the problems it causes you. So if you want to add to that, that's one of the big questions that we're asking everyone as we do these panels is, how has it created some problems for you? And then what way are you learning to grow through it?
2: Um, well, you know, I didn't even realize until I started very recently reading about the instincts and understanding them better that that I really get afraid when I'm in a group like Joel, we met at mm. this Enneagram intensive. And I remember there was another woman there who was a self-president and she told me, Kathleen, you look afraid. And I said, I am afraid. <laughs> wow. I, I didn't understand that that was because when I'm in a group, I mean, part of it is being an eight and always feeling like maybe I'm going to be too much or say the wrong right. thing or, you know, whatever, but it's more than that. It's yeah afraid of being in a group and then maybe I'll you know or maybe I'll try to lead when I shouldn't lead and all that stuff that comes up but I'm learning that I'm just trying to join more groups to be honest right now I'm trying to I have you know a lot of I want to volunteer so I've I've reached out in ways where before I thought about it thought about it and then I would just get blocked and I wouldn't reach out and now I'm saying you know go beyond the block reach out And I'm just kind of sampling different things where I can find out where I need to grow in this area, but that's how it, yeah, how it is for me.
4: Love it. Yeah. Yeah, That's really beautiful. I love that because what you just demonstrated there is the, the desire. It's really more about integration than balance. Like it's not because they're not always going to be equal. Like you have a strength for self-prez and that will be a, a strength that you're able to carry. But you do want to integrate these other energies. And I think the way you talked about saying, well, this is the one that's not as strong for me, and this is what I'm doing about it. I'm taking a practical step to put myself in social situations is just huge because that's exactly what it looks like to go into integration. It's to say, I'm going to, I'm going to take this step. And um, Joel always talks about like doing what you want all the time, what really feels good to your type it's like scratching the mosquito bite. And when you don't scratch it, it feels, it just doesn't feel right. And that's how, you know, you're doing the right thing. Um, and so I'm sure it feels sometimes awkward for you, but the fact that you're doing it yeah. is just such a beautiful demonstration of growth.
0: Yeah. yeah.
4: I echo that hundred percent. And then
0: I would, uh, just add the detail of, I can see how you move the, like you said, sex, sexual is your second, like you're using, leveraging the sexual energy of risk-taking to yeah, then put yeah. yourself into the social, which is uh, yeah. which is brilliant. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's good.
2: Yeah. That's, Thanks that's for pointing me. that out. That's helpful. Really good. I, I must admit, I,
1: I just felt ill as I read the description of the sexual. It just makes me feel ill. The idea of breaking a habit. I read it with my husband, actually, and he just roared with laughter. And he said, Jillian, your habits, routines, and boundaries have got barbed wire on them. <laughs> like, wow. they are so protected yeah. Yeah. So to avoiding risk it just it hmm. seems to be my the way I live and actually living in Brazil that was a major stressor for me it was a huge I moved there with no language I had no Portuguese I had five words of Portuguese my children were five and six we took them to a school where no one could speak, speak English and I felt way out of control long way out of control actually having him there was the was the thing that just kept me stable and having a front door that I could close at the end of the day and but yeah loads of these things when the trying new things Phil laughing earlier he said took him 10 years to persuade me to buy a dishwasher because <laughs> I just thought you can dish you can wash them manually what's wrong with you, you don't need a machine." Yeah. I've been using the same face cream for 32 years. I ran, that was my sport, I ran. And I ran marathons until I had injuries. And it took the injuries for somebody eventually to say to me, you're doing the same exercise all the time. You have to change and do different exercise.
2: Mm, And it
1: took took the injury to make me do it. And my babies, that that was having babies, yeah. it breaks every routine and pattern you've got and i've got <laughs> depression because i just oh, i couldn't cope. it was a huge stress i couldn't wow. cope with it yeah so I, I have no idea how to integrate <laughs> yeah, but my but yeah but you did so wow.
0: so a couple things one of them is the need for or you know the meal plan that you have where you do this you know you've got it all worked out and then you call on your husband to say hey can we mix it up a little bit and yeah You know, we need to mix it up, right? That's bringing a little bit of the sexual energy, even if it's not internal for you. That's fine. You're recognizing the need for it and you're calling for it. Mm. And it changes things up a little bit for you. Mm. And you also illustrate another point that I think is really important. And that is self-preservation. Whenever our dominant instinct is just running and it's the thing that's driving everything. It actually lowers the intelligence of that instinct. It starts to counteract the intel the intelligence of that. So, for example, when you said you're running marathons regularly over and over again, the self preservation instinct is about making sure that you live longevity, right? That there's longevity, that there's health, that there's strength. Yeah. But it lacks a certain level of intelligence mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. keeps doing the same thing over, which eventually produces injury. And so the sexual energy comes in to say, hey, you change that up a little bit, you'll have longer you'll be able to run longer. Um, And so it's those little, little tweaks like that. Like I like the way Jim put it. It's not about having perfect balance between all three. It's about how they're integrated. And my theory is that the other two tend to want to serve, you know, if they had a personality, they would tend, they would want to desire to serve the dominant instinct and contribute to it to make it even that much more impactful in your life. But you, you have brought in some of the sexual energy, I think, and you could probably go from your self-pres to your social and see how the social can help you. Even my husband, I go out to him to bring in a little bit of the sexual energy and that path, that route. So, yeah.
1: Thank you. That's good. As
3: I was thinking through the social aspect of my instincts, it actually led me to a, question for you, Joel and Jim. So maybe I'll throw the question out there. I'll say a little bit and then maybe you could answer the question. I'm wondering if the instinct stack is relatively static throughout your life or are there seasons to it? Are there waves to it where, you know, at some period you might draw on something, you know, on perhaps your neglected instinct for a period of years and i'll tell you what gets to my question so social was what scored lowest for me although still relatively high you know my numbers were yeah, self president 77 sexual 69 social 58 so all of my numbers were pretty high i don't know what that means but my my observation is that if you had asked me to take the survey 10 years ago I would have expected that I would have scored much higher on a social instinct. Mm. I had always considered myself incredibly outgoing, very social. My my social circles ran as wide as they did deep. What I noticed was seven, eight years ago, a couple of big things happened that caused me to sort of bring my circles in closer one was that i left my corporate career where i had been i'd been at the same pr agency for 12 years and a lot of my my social network was tied up in that work setting and then the year after that i started a sobriety journey and so it's now been you know, i've been a sober woman for 7 years And through both of those things, I watched my circle get smaller and smaller and smaller. Some of that I think was probably by choice. I think there was a little, especially around sobriety, a little self-preservation instinct uh, rearing his head that just makes you bring the focus pretty tight in. But also that friend circle gets really small. And so... As I look at it now, my social instinct is pretty weak. I find that I'm much more comfortable with myself and with my teeny tiny group of confidants, and um, even in the in, in the context of COVID, you know, so many folks have felt isolated and alone. It's been a joy (laughs) for me to just be in my own little home with my own little self and my little husband and my kids and my pets. I've not wanted for almost anything.
0: Mm. We can't spend too, too much time on this. This would be a separate podcast altogether for us to dive in more deeply into it. But just to say, I think it's a great question. I think it's one that a lot of folks are asking. And it's one that I'm still, I mean, in full disclosure, like we don't have the answers. We have some. But this is about learning and growing with the wisdom that the rest of those who are on this journey are also discovering, right? So there's there's a lot that we're still learning about the space. I've heard stories like yours many times, mm-hmm. many times of folks who are becoming sober or folks who are having significant like growth happening. And they realize they push themselves in a direction that wasn't really home-based for them. I personally have done so too. I lived out of my self president instinct for several years. Um, That's a story for another time. But what I realized is how exhausted I was. I was always tired. I was always wiped out. When I started living more naturally out of my dominant instinct, I found the energy being stronger there. It's a larger conduit of energy that seems to flow through that. And so relaxing into that, but then I'd also find myself pushing that way too much, you know, and then if you push it way too much, you become exhausted by that dominant instinct and then you need a break from that too. But it's, it's just more natural to flow from that one, my dominant than it is to flow from something else. And that could be what happened to you. You know, you became sober, you began to grow and some changes took place. You realized that, you know, it's not really your favorite place to be and that, you're okay not having as much of that in your life. And that's okay too. The problem is when it's neglected. The problem is when we're repressing it. The problem is when it's not integrated. My thinking is that when we allow and it allow integration, it starts to teach us greater wisdom of how to live. It's when we're fighting against something that we lose the opportunity that the wisdom of that
4: integration could bring to our lives. Yeah, there's another aspect of it that I think I'll mention briefly here, which is, let's say your dominant is self-prez and you want a stable home and your well-being to be cared for, but then you start to reach an age where you want to find a mate and your sexual is you're repressed. You may dial that up and there may be an increased usage of the sexual instinct in order to attract and bond to a mate, but it's still serving the dominant instinct of wanting to have a safe home, have good well-being, a good domestic nest. And so I think we do pull up our repressed instinct at times we need it, but it's usually to serve the dominant instinct.
0: <laughs> Very true. Yes. There's a lot of humor there for me because of how, how I see it happen quite a bit in my own life. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great. I so appreciate each of you devoting your time. What I'm aware of with self-preservation instinct is that it takes, it requires you like pulling up some of the social and sexual energy just to say yes to being on the podcast. So um, so <laughs> yeah. thank you. I really honor that. And I so appreciate you being open and transparent and sharing some of these stories and experiences with us. And so a huge thanks to each of you for being on this podcast.
4: Yes. Thank you guys so much. It's amazing to have you and we will see you soon.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.